Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and we roll on. Our big question series continues. What do we have for the people today, Alex? Two big questions about the two most polarizing guys on the Knicks. We are talking about Tibbs. How long is the leash? What will change with him, if anything? But also kind of play devil's advocate on whether he can still be good and still, you know, bring this team somewhere new. And Julius Randle. How will he fare this season? Can he change things about his game to make the team better? And yeah, we'll we'll see. Maybe we have a little devil's advocate argument in there for him as well. That's all coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and we want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day we're now available on all platforms, and that includes, you guessed it, on YouTube. If you haven't checked us out on YouTube yet, what are you doing? You're only getting half the experience, so go to YouTube, throw us a subscription, even if you intend to never listen again, just because it's it's the right thing to do. But who's talking to you? I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website in the whole wide world. This is Locked on Knicks. You can check out the Strickland at the Strick.land. And we are rolling forward in our big questions series, Alex. We start off talking about one Thomas Thibodeau. I don't know if anyone's ever called him that before. I might be the first. It might not even really be his name. His name might just be Tom. I'm not sure. But regardless, um, the big question about Tom Thibodeau is as follows. Uh, how long is his leash? Will he be held accountable if things go bad? Is there a world where things go good? Are there redeeming qualities there? Alex Wolf, it was your question. The floor is yours to answer. Well, let me let me talk a little bit about Thomas. I think we should just start calling him Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That, that, the tank that lends, I was about to say that lends so many great yeah. possibilities if the next season goes bad. We can start calling him Thomas the Tank Engine. You and I, right on yeah. Right on cue. We're locked in. We're locked in, baby. 8 a.m. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I I don't know. I've been curious about this question because this has been on my mind ever since we talked to Berman, like right after the season. And of course, we were much more angry then about Tibbs sticking around. Now we've just kind of, as usual, sort of come to terms with things over the course of the whole summer. But back then, I remember, you know, we were (laughs) We had an episode that was very strongly in support of Tibbs getting fired in like February. And from there on, for the last like two months of the season, we were like, what is this dude still doing here? And I fully stand by that still to this day. I mean, I thought that he did enough last year to justify losing his job, which was even once things were obviously, you know, to the wayside and, and, you know, the team was obviously not going to make the playoffs or the play in even. And even if they had made the play in was not going to do anything of any importance. He still insisted on playing Alec Burks at the point guard and, 
you know, playing Evan Fournier like 35 minutes and, you know, at the expense of some of the younger guys on the team, like wasn't finding consistent minutes for Obi Toppin until Julius Randle went down with like a maybe real, maybe slightly exaggerated injury towards the end of the season. Uh, it just, it didn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, it, it, when we heard from Berman, it was sort of like, it sounds like the Knicks feel like Tibbs doesn't have long to go either, but if that's the case, why even bother? You know, that was kind of always my thing. Why bother, uh, you know, bringing him back if your plan is just to give him a 20 game, you know, string to prove that he's not a good coach and then fire him mid season and promote someone else. Uh, maybe their plan is to do that, to take some heat off of Johnny Bryant. And like, weirdly, it would almost give Johnny Bryant more of like a stress-free environment to do it that way than to have him have to go through the process of like a whole summer, you know, if the Knicks would fire Tibbs and just elevate him, there would be a whole summer of media coverage about like, are the Knicks making the right choice, not interviewing like a thousand outside candidates for their, their new job and just promoting Johnny Bryant, CAA ties, blah, blah, blah. But like, I don't know. I guess we'll see how it all works out as far as just the Tibbs of it all though. I don't know. Like Gavin, you would sort of, sort of mention, you know, does he know how to win in our notes? And like, that's sort of a good point. Uh, I do think that he does know how to win as is evidenced by the fact that he's built a great defense for the Knicks over these last couple of years. And like, again, we've said this all summer too. Like this is probably something that has come out more with us with a little more of a sober mindset about the whole thing. But like to his credit, you know, the Knicks have had a top 10 defense the last two years. And that's not something you usually can hang your hat on as a Knicks fan. Um, but the problem is his stubbornness with the offense, his stubbornness with wanting to play veterans over younger players, which this year he doesn't have any rookies, thankfully, but like, will he still have the same reservations about Emmanuel quickly, Obi Toppin, Quentin Grimes, you know, he's apparently said the right things privately, like, which we also heard from Berman that, you know, maybe he regrets not playing Obi Toppin more down, you know, more during last season and stuff like that, based off how he played down the stretch. But we're going to need to see action on that. And I feel like we've seen Tibbs talk a good game, whether it's in public or in private before, and not follow through. So I think that's going to be the biggest thing for me as a number one item. And then, like, that's just from a fan perspective. Like, does he follow through on the things that he's saying publicly and privately? But then from a, from like a GM perspective, it would just be like, are you going to give me results or are you not? Because if the I feel like if there's not results early on in the season, Tibbs's leash might be about what Berman said about 20 games or so. Yeah, and I, I think the question that I keep coming back to when I when I try to remove my personal biases and and my frustrations and um, just having to watch every single game of this team, did the Knicks play up to their talent level last year? And from a point differential perspective, where the Knicks were somewhere around or should have been about a 500 team a year ago. I would honestly say they did, especially with the caveat that they got Kemba Walker in. Maybe I, I, I think there is a lot of reporting that says that was something Tibbs wanted, unless I'm completely off on that. Maybe it was the opposite. Maybe he didn't want it. Um, but either way, he had to deal with 30 games of a, a guy who is just not a starting point guard in the NBA anymore. And is particularly a disaster on the defensive end. And you could argue if he got his wish of, of Point Burks the whole season, uh, maybe the Knicks would have finished 
with that 500 record. And, and you just go up and down this roster. I think the Knicks had about 500 talent a year ago, maybe a little worse, maybe a little bit better. But in that sense, you can't quibble with the results. But my, my takeaway from that is not that Tibbs didn't do anything wrong. It's that there were compensatory, really good qualities about how he coached, to your point, particularly what he did defensively with this team to offset the egregious things, such as uh, not playing Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin, which on off numbers painted as the two best players on this team, um, significant minutes or giving them significant responsibility when they were on the floor until the season was so far out of reach. It was, it was quite literally, to your point, Alex, until the last five games of the year to where he really trusted those guys. And the issue was the guys he trusted instead and the inability to hold those guys accountable. Julius Randle finished top 20 in the NBA in minutes per game. Um, Alec Burks, post-All-Star break, once the Knicks season was essentially done, was 14th in the NBA in minutes play. That's that courtesy of our guy, Jonathan Macri. That is wild for a player who was not just bad in the clutch, he was far and away leagues worse than anyone else in the NBA in clutch situations last season. And you flip that with Emmanuel quickly, who as last year went along, got better and better and better as a playmaker to, to the point by the last 10 games of the season when he was actually playing consistent minutes, statistically, he was a top 15 passer in the NBA in terms of assist percentage, in terms of assist per 36 minutes. He was elite as a creator. Obi Toppin, who said it again and again and again, when he actually got to play down the stretch, he was averaging, what was it, like 25 points per game the last five or six games of the year? And again, we don't know what those guys would have done with more significant minutes. And I think Tibbs' argument this whole time is what you guys are not seeing and not appreciating is if I play those guys and those guys do what they do well, what I want this team to do, which is to play tough defense night in and night out, is going to fall off a cliff. And you, it, it's essentially um, a Sophie's choice of you can either have this exciting offense inspired by this young talent, but you're going to lose some of the veteran savvy and size defensively, except that IQ and OB have had fantastic defensive numbers their entire career. And IQ in particular, I think very much passes the eye test of someone who may struggle in very specific matchups, but is all in all largely a plus defender. While Obi, you can only contrast him with the one other guy who plays his position, Julius Randle, who may have far more upside defensively, but none of it is actually accessible because he doesn't really play all that hard. So, Alex, we, we can we can pivot into a quick break if you want. And you could you could give me a, a counterpoint to that if you want. But if we're playing devil's advocate, I think that's what Tibbs would argue if he was given truth serum. And unfortunately, I just don't think it holds up to scrutiny. Yeah, I don't I don't really think so either. So I, I think we could probably head to break, but then I wouldn't mind discussing Jalen Brunson for just a moment when we get back in relation to Tibbs. Like, how much is he going to maybe help alleviate some of these problems by finally giving Tibbs a point guard option that there is no way monetarily or play style-wise he could ever possibly have, one, a problem with, or B, others would have a problem with him playing. <laughs> so may, does that maybe solve all the problems here? But first, just a reminder, today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.net. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week's games. BetOnline.net 
is also your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. And Gavin, that also includes basketball. Are there any lines that are really standing out to you right now? You know, Alex, I always I always look back at those playoff odds. Uh, the the one I I, I I gravitate to, admittedly, is our New York Knicks. But I want to highlight the Lakers here. The Lakers are minus 260 to make the playoffs, plus 200 to miss the playoffs. Why do people think this team is going to be better this year? I, I, I get the premise that they're going to try and find a way to get off Russell Westbrook, but they were an absolute disaster. LeBron, he finally did it. He admitted that he's bald. Maybe that means he finally falls off and he starts playing his age. I don't know, but I would put some heavy money down, Alex, on the Los Angeles Lakers missing the playoffs. And BetOnline.net is the only place I'd want to do so. Yeah, so head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action Bet online where the game starts. All right, we're back to discuss more about Tibbs. And, you know, I know that we already did an episode where we talked a lot about Jalen Brunson, so I don't want to linger on this too much. But with everyone that we've ever talked to, like the one that I really remember was uh, we had PD Webb come in one time back when it was still the Frank Nilakina era of the Knicks, if I remember correctly. And we were like, isn't isn't Nilakina like gonna be perfect for Tibbs? Like he plays defense and blah blah blah. And and PD was straight up to us like, no, <laughs> that's not a player that that's not the type of player that Tibbs likes at the point guard. Like he doesn't care about defense at the point. Weirdly enough, like if you look at all the guys he's ever trusted throughout his whole career, it was like Derrick Rose, which you know, he was such a dynamo offensively, but was never like a shutdown defender. I mean, he was passable at defense in his early years, but he's never been like, you know, a, a nonsensically good defender. I'd actually argue maybe with like his veteran savvy and whatever he was, he might've turned in one of his best defensive years of his career in 2021. Um, but then, you know, the solutions when Rose would go down were never like, you know, big burly defensive guards. It was always like, uh, like Aaron Brooks and Nate Robinson, <laughs> like all these various guys that couldn't defend their way out of a paper bag, you know, but could score the ball and, you know, could maneuver around a defense and, you know, do stuff that way. Then with the the uh, Timberwolves, he ends up with Jeff Teague, very similar dude, like uh, pretty much all offense, not very much defense going on at that stage of his career. With Jalen Brunson now, he gets a guy that I think really fits the offensive profile of what he's always valued in a guard, which is a guy that can get to the rim. Uh, he can shoot the three if need be, but like he's very comfortable with the ball in his hands, very comfortable getting to the rack. Like That's the number one thing for Tibbs. I think that's the reason that Alfred Payton played as long as he did. I think that's the reason that Tibbs talked himself into Kemba playing as long as he did. And that's certainly why he talked himself into Alec Burks, because Alec Burks was on top of being able to give a little bit of a different defensive look at the point of attack was getting to the rim a lot. He just couldn't finish when he got there. He shot like 37% at the rim, which is like one of the worst figures in the league, but Tibbs didn't care as long as he was getting to the rim. Brunson luckily shoots. He's like 95th percentile among combo guards in the league. The last two years, as far as getting to the rim and finishing there. So I do wonder Gavin, do, do you think that, Brunson maybe is the greatest factor in determining if Tibbs keeps his job because he's sort of this perfect storm of there's no justifiable way to to not play him despite him being 
sort of young-ish, you know, at like 25, 26 years old. Um, but there's it, he also fits Tibbs's mold perfectly and maybe could finally be the like the point guard, not just for the Knicks that have been looking for it for so long, but also Tibbs, who really has not to to his credit, has not had great talent available to him at that position, except for Emmanuel Quickly, who he refused to play for reasons unknown. Yeah, I think I think the only issue with that premise in my mind is just the fit of the Knicks starting lineup and that probably the core issue of Thibodeau's tenure on the Knicks. And honestly, you can, you can bring this back to his Bulls teams. You could bring it a, a little bit back to his T-Wolves teams, though having arguably the greatest shooting center of all time in, in Carl Anthony Towns alleviated this a bit. Uh, the lack of spacing is still going to be there. And, and just the fact that Brunson is a basketball savant will make things a little bit easier and that he can maneuver through tight spaces and he, and he won't really give a crap that Mitch's defender will be hovering for a pseudo double team every time he gets into the lane. Like he'll, he'll still figure out ways to finish well, but I do think we'll see Brunson at, at least while Tibbs is the coach. And at least while he's playing the majority of his minutes with Mitchell Robinson as his center, Julius Randall's as power forward and RJ Barrett as a small forward. I think we're going to see Brunson's efficiency around the basket, take a pretty decent hit just because you, you look at what the Mavericks have been these last few years. And it's been, four or five out on offense, right? He's gotten Maxi Kleba or, or or Dwight Powell like spacing the floor and and rolling to the rim, but doing so at opportune times. He's had Luka Doncic like drawing two, three defenders out to the perimeter. He's not going to have that on the Knicks. And unfortunately, that kind of plays into Tibbs's worst tendencies because I, I don't think Tibbs really has a natural ability to get creative and create space where there isn't. So to me, that's that's the only fly in the ointment here. But I do think you, you can certainly make a case that especially if Brunson's made a leap as a player, if RJ's made a leap as a player, if Julius is just somewhere in between the guy we had in 2021 and 21-22, that sheer talent will keep the offense closer to league average. And that Tibbs, again, when we when we say, all right, what was going right here, he can manufacture elite defensive play even when there isn't elite defensive players. And I, I don't think that'll be any different with Jalen Brunson in place of Alec Burks. Yeah, I I can definitely see the argument there that maybe, you know, the the personnel might hurt Brunson to some degree. Uh and it's it's probably going to take, you know, some minutes with like Obi Toppin and and Hartenstein potentially to really unlock Brunson at times. Uh but speaking of minutes with bench guys, we have another guy that we want to talk about as well, which is Julius Randle and I had this other question, and this is my last of our 10 questions. Last episode will be your two questions to to finish us off. But my other question that has been on my mind a lot this offseason and is on my mind going into training camp, I think you and I both expected Julius Randle to not be on this team anymore. Like, especially during the Mitchell saga, I think that the general expectation was Randle's going to go out somehow in this deal, probably to reroute more assets to Utah or whatever. Obviously, that doesn't come to be. And now you're in the situation where you have Tibbs making semi-public comments, you know, again, like, like Berman had the the scoop on it that, uh, you know, he regretted not playing Obi more. And you have obviously all of the, the evidence, you know, from the season of Julius clearly not being happy on the court, playing downright passive aggressive a lot of times, and he could deny it all he wanted, but 
the tapes there. Like you could see how he was playing on defense or rather not playing. You could see some of his body language on offense and some of the things that he would do certain games that made it pretty obvious that he was not happy. So can this relationship be salvaged at this point? And can his play style be salvaged at this point? Like, I think we had so much fun in 2021. He obviously did too, but it's pretty obvious at this point that was, that was an anomaly. Like he, you know, he shot really well because it was an empty gym and like, I mean, even from an amateur perspective, like you or I, it's a lot easier to just shoot by yourself than it is in live game action. And it's a lot easier to shoot in an empty gym than in a gym with 20,000 people in it. Um, And, you know, that became pretty obvious this past year when Julius's counting stats didn't take a hit, but his numbers took a hit across the board. So is he going to be able to sort of accept a slice of humble pie this year and like one not insist on bringing the ball up all the time and leave that to the guy that the Knicks just paid 25 plus million dollars, basically paid exactly what Julius is making to come in and be that guy in Jalen Brunson. And then two, is he going to be able to sort of set aside the, the like LeBron type play style, I guess that he was playing with in 2021 where he was so heliocentric, you know, so so much the engine of the offense where he had to touch the ball, like every single time for the team to play well. And is he going to be willing to do that and allow Brunson and RJ to have their moments and, you know, have their time to run the offense without being visibly unhappy about it? Um, I, I feel like it's a lot to think about, Gavin, but where do you stand on that with Randall to to start this discussion? All right, Gavin, before you get to that, let's take one final break. We'll come back. We'll continue this Julius Randall discussion, talking about his shot selection earlier in his career and if maybe that can influence uh, some of what to do with him this season uh, or if if he can even get to that point anymore considering he's already sort of been to the top of the mountain. But we'll take our final break and then come right back and talk about that. All right, guys, we are back uh, one final time talking Julius Randle. All right, so Alex, to to respond to your point, to answer this question, I think the way to go about it is to look at how Julius played early in his career in a way that was maybe – a little bit more about of what the Knicks would want from him now. Like I, I, I flash back to his last season with the Lakers. He shot 58% from two point range that year. This past season on the Knicks, he shot 46% from two point range. That is a stunning drop off for a player that is 27 years old, still very much in his athletic prime um, has not suffered a major injury since that age 23 season has basically stayed fully healthy. So it, it's not because of skill, it's not because of athleticism. It's because of of context and uh, how, who Julius wants to be as a player. Um, as far as context goes, I'd have to go back and, and watch those games. He had Brooke Lopez as his center. So there was, there was certainly more of a spacing element at the five than there was um, with Mitchell Robinson in the Knicks. But that Lakers team, you look at the roster, it was not super heavy on shooting. He was, he was not playing on, on last season's Mavericks to go back to our Jalen Brunson reference. He was still playing with a pretty clogged floor, and yet because he's again like a six foot nine, two hundred sixty pound bowling ball of a human being, blessed with uh, insane coordination and athletic ability, and, and to his credit, is the skill level that he spent a lifetime honing. He he should be one of the best rim scorers in all of basketball, and he was very far from that last year. In fact, he was one of the least efficient scores 
in the league. We can even we, we don't even have to look as far back as the um, as that last Lakers season. We can just look over his Knicks season in 21-22 where he wasn't particularly efficient, right? He was 42nd percentile in the NBA in points per shot attempt. But last year, that completely fell off a cliff. He's all those tough shots stopped going, and he went to the 6th percentile in points per shot attempt. And last season, he went from 24th percentile in effective field goal percentage to 3rd percentile in the NBA amongst bigs. And, and you look at the other guys in that category – there's no one else that gets paid like him with the exception of Jaron Jackson Jr. And Jaron Jackson Jr. is one of the best defensive players in the league. Julius Randle is not. I say all that to say the way he was playing last year is just untenable if you want to win basketball games. And the only solution that comes to my mind, which you said over and over again, is a recalibration of his role if he's going to be on this team. And that's someone who rolls hard to the rim who maybe even has a floater package in his game if he can't get all the way to the basket with Mitchell Robinson there. And honestly, it's on Tibbs to get creative and figure that out. If that means starting Isaiah Hartenstein over Mitchell Robinson and then lining Mitch's minutes up with a power forward that can actually shoot a little bit in Obi Toppin, so be it. Wow, that sounds weird to say to talk about Obi Toppin as a shooter over Julius Randle. That's more about how much they shoot and where they shoot and the kind of shots they take. But all of that is besides the point. It's that I think the Knicks do have to do right by Julius and that they have to make an effort to play him with guys who will space the floor better. But ultimately, it's on Julius to make a decision to be a different dude. We've said it a million times. I have my doubts that he can do that. Um, But maybe there are things the Knicks can do to push him in the right direction. Yeah. And even if it honestly comes down to like them saying, Julius, we need you to play a certain way so we could trade you later on if you're truly unhappy here then maybe that's what it is. You know, it's like, I don't know. I, I don't know what it would take to to motivate him at this point. It seemed pretty obvious last year that like just straight up wins and losses wasn't enough to motivate him because there were certainly times where he came out and just, I, I wish I could remember the game specifically, but I remember when it happened that he had the one game where he just refused to take a shot in the paint and was like passively aggressively, like mostly shooting threes, just like getting the ball in the second it touched his hands, being like, okay, shot time, wherever I am on the floor, I'm not going to try to dribble the ball or do anything probably because he had been told maybe in practice or something like, Hey, can you like give it up to quick or RJ or whoever more to have them bring it up the floor? We want to try some new looks. Oh, okay. Well, if that's what you want, I'm never going to dribble the ball and I'm just going to shoot it. You know, it's, I, I feel like there just has to be, like he has to essentially eat a slice of humble pie this year if things are going to work out. And we've seen him do that before. So I'm not even saying that that won't happen. Like he went from season one to season two with the Knicks, you know, from his, his 2019 20, which was, I would say similarly disastrous in the sense that he was brought in as like the backup plan to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and then put too much on himself. He admitted that later on said like, I was trying too hard to be the hero you know, I needed to just focus more on, on, you know, team-based play, whatever. And for as central as he was to what the Knicks were doing in 20 to 21 and needed the ball in his hands a lot, he did play a more team-oriented style of basketball. He was trying on defense all the time. He was looking for his teammates consistently. He had like a great rapport with like Reggie Bullock and seemed to really enjoy, you know, what they were able to do as far as, you know, Randall feeding him for three-pointers all the time. And, you know, he seemed to enjoy feeding R.J. Barrett for spot-up three-pointers, things like that. 
then this past season, it, it you know, it starts with him saying, I want my respect. I want my respect in the first game against the Celtics after he just made all second team all NBA, which seems like a pretty respectful thing. <laughs> so I don't know exactly what it was that he was looking for, but that just seemed to be the consistent theme of the whole season where he just thought like, I'm not respected enough as a player, but then it became unfortunately sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy where it started being like, well, what are you doing? That's worthy of respect this season. Like you're regressing, not progressing, you know? And so I, I think that's what it's going to come down to. It's we could talk all we want about what Julius needs to do differently on the court and what Tibbs needs to, you know, do differently to put him in better situations. But unfortunately, I think most of it with Julius this year is just going to be between his ears. You know, it's can he can he take a step back and say, all right, is there a role that I can play on this team that is like a mix of what I used to be with the Lakers and the Pelicans as, you know, a a complimentary guy versus what I've been with the Knicks, which is more of an alpha because. I, it should be obvious to him if he was willing to take a an off season of of quiet reflection on the whole thing that it didn't work last year with him as the the primary option. Things looked a lot better down the stretch when the Knicks were empowering Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin and R.J. Barrett to sort of be more of leaders on the offensive end of the court. Um, and obviously, this year again, you're adding Jalen Brunson, who I think has the greatest case of any of them to be like, I have what it takes. I just led a team to a first round win, you know, last year over a perennial playoff team in the jazz, you know, like he, he deserves his respect. He should be the one coming out game one saying, I want my respect, you know, because he averaged like 25 points a game against the jazz and won a series for the Mavericks last year. So is Julius going to be willing to say, okay, I respect Jalen Brunson enough to let him do this. I respect RJ Barrett more this year, and I'm going to allow him to, you know, operate as a primary guy more often and not let it affect me. And is his relationship with the fan base going to still be so frosty? You know, I, I, I feel like that's definitely, we tend to overlook it a little bit now being removed from the situation for a while, but that was a key point in his season last year. Like it seemed like when, Things weren't going well. The fans were booing him or they were, you know, cheering for Obi. And, you know, it was a it was a causation. It was because of how Julius was playing. But then that just sort of pushed Julius further into the hole where he seemed to get more upset the more that would happen. And then that would make him play worse. And then he would get booed more. And then things just didn't progress in a healthy way for him throughout the season. So all things to keep an eye on for Julius as we go into the season. But Gavin, I think that's it for me. It's we can talk all we want about the numbers. Unfortunately, with Julius, it's it's going to come down to can the coaching staff put him in a good situation to succeed? And can he sort out whatever's going on in his head to sort of humble himself and put himself in a situation where he could be a better fit to the team, even if it affects his admittedly impressive counting numbers and stuff from the last couple of years, especially considering he's just now this year, entering the first year of his contract extension he signed last summer. So he's kind of already achieved the goal of getting paid. Now it's like, do you want to, you know, progress things with the team now, you know, and and get things going? I, I think that's the big 
important question for Julius going into this year. Yeah, it's not it's not a situation I'm optimistic about. I've been I've been pretty clear about that, but I'm I'm rooting for the guy. It might not seem like it, but I I, I hope I hope it works out. I I would I would I would love nothing more than for him to have a bounce back season, playing the right way. Because as I've said a, a million times, and we'll we'll say every time Julius Randle comes up, there 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 is a an absolutely brilliant basketball player there that can fit in with any team on earth. The way he wants to play and the role he wants to play right now for who he is doesn't fit with any team on earth. And uh, yeah, that's the last thing I'll say on it. Uh, But until next time, uh, be good. This is Locked on Knicks. And uh, yeah, two more episodes for you guys this week. So stay tuned, stay locked. We'll talk to you soon right here on Locked on Knicks.